welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Thank you for joining us for another instalment in our debut Spotlight series, where we place the freshest authors and their work firmly on your radar. Today we are so pleased to shine the spotlight on Nicole Flattery's debut novel, Nothing Special a stunning novel set amidst the glamour and creativity of Andy Warhol's factory as two women start to rebel against the conformity of their lives. Nicole Flattery is a writer from Ireland. Her fiction and non-fiction have featured on BBC Radio 4 and in publications such as The Stinging Fly, The Dublin Review and The Irish Times. Her short story, Track, was the winner of the 2017 White Review Short Story Prize. In 2019, her short story collection, Show Them a Good Time, was published to much acclaim. Her debut novel, Nothing Special, is out on the 2nd of March, and we are so excited to have Nicole with us today. So, Nicole, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So, before we get into the book, I always like to ask my favourite question, which is, what are you currently reading, if anything? I am always currently reading something. Um, I am... Like I'm reading a couple of different things, which is sometimes I do. So I'm reading some Lynn Tillman because I'm writing a review on her uh, on a, a recent book of hers. And then I'm and I'm going to probably say her Miko Kawakami. I'm reading. Uh, yeah. A, yeah. A book of her is called uh, All the Lovers in the Night. Um, I really liked uh, her first book, Breaths and Eggs. Um, speaking of de- debut or her first. Which I, I don't know if that was her actual first book, the first book of hers that I read in English. And yeah, it's great. I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm yet to read any, I can't even say any, Miko Kawakami, but yeah, I've not read, I've got Heaven, which is hers, I've got that on my shelf, but I've heard so much about her writing, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great, It's it's got like a lovely rhythm, just like a nice, nice pace to it, um, it's good. I'm also super jealous that you are one of them people that can read more than one book at a time, which I have the <laughs> inability to do. I can only I can only do it when it's nonfiction and fiction. I can't do yes. it otherwise. And then sometimes I quite like reading a nonfiction book because I feel like it's like like I read a lot of fiction, and then when I'm I'm writing fiction, I feel like it's nice to have like a nonfiction book um, to like to just kind of read alongside it. And you're like, oh, facts, like the real world. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed both of uh, Patrick Radden Keefe's books. I've only read two now, but Empire of Pain and um, his, his other one. Uh, what's his other one? Um, oh, North. but yes, I really, I, th- I think I don't read a huge amount of nonfiction. I should read more, but uh, I'm trying. I now really regret I passed on Empire of Pain to a friend of mine before mm. reading it. And now I've got big regrets. Now you've mentioned it's yeah. really good it's really good it's sort of like I don't know how he he does like distill all that information like he's always mm. using intelligent and everything into like such a kind of readable book but yeah great highly um, recommend get it back off your friend tell you, you want it back have you watched dope sick this? yes I did yes. watch that oh yeah. god it's so good so yeah. so good and it makes you very angry and the book makes yeah. you very angry as well you know yeah yeah it was so upsetting like the way mm-hmm. that whole situation was dealt with it's just really frustrating to watch especially yeah um, I'm curious now are you the kind of writer that can read whilst writing or is that mm-hmm. a like no books need to go away whilst I'm, I'm writing I'm such a slow writer that like if I didn't read while writing I wouldn't read for you <laughs> I might not be able <laughs> to read by the end of it 
I don't feel like <laughs> so I do read while I'm I'm writing it's kind of funny because I definitely have had books that I've put down because I'm like oh this is like getting into my head like a little bit too much but generally mm. I can I can separate I think um and I really enjoy I still it's quite funny because I, I feel like not to sound like a huge nerd or whatever but like I really do feel like I've been writing now for years like and mm. I'm trying to write trying to write writing writing reviews writing different things and I still really enjoy reading and I was always worried that that might be something that like that might make me enjoy reading less or not look forward to it or make it feel more like work mm. uh, but no I actually still do enjoy it like check back in 10 years and I'll be like no <laughs> I just watch TV now. I don't read <laughs> <laughs> I see another book again. <laughs> um, so as this is our debut spotlight series, we are starting out by asking debut authors um, what their journey has been mm-hmm. like into having their debut novel published. And I mean, you have already had like endorsements from the likes of Sally Rooney. And I've read that you didn't actually commit to writing until the age of 27. So mm. I'm even more curious about what your journey has been like. I feel like I'm like, it sounds ridiculous when you say that I like I was like slow and I, I didn't start writing until I was 27. That that's not particularly late in the day or anything, but like yeah. kill to be 27 now. <laughs> I felt very old at the time. No, I, um, I didn't. MA in writing when I was like and Phil I did um, when I was like 23 and I think because I wrote stories there at, at that time I I didn't publish any of those stories that I, I wrote for my kind of five year thesis um, because I didn't know what I was writing about or like who I was writing for or not that I think you have to like think about who you're writing for but I had no I had no voice of my own I think mm-hmm. um, it was very imitative it was very um, in line with like a, a sort of like Irish tradition that I didn't necessarily I think you you know you, you write a certain way to be taken seriously and I, I didn't I, I couldn't follow that like I was writing these kind of like short stories about young men who were you know heartbroken or whatever and like old men who were alcoholics and stuff and uh, one of my lectures was like why are you writing <laughs> I think this is what I was supposed to write <laughs> it's an Irish writing so it took, me, uh, took me a long time to to kind of find my own voice and like then I left college and I was working and things and you know like experiencing like real world rejection and you know it's kind of at that time like struggling like in a jobs market and encountering that kind of like I don't know just like real life problems that I actually felt was like very awful to go through but like really really good for my for my work and quite like the kind of the substance I needed like to to be able to like make it make it good or something um, I remember I was like trying to finish a story and my I couldn't finish the story and it was the last story in, the, in my collection and a friend of mine was like I was like I think I need to finish this I have to have my like manuscript in and she was like you need to like either get a bad job or have a bad breakup <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm supposed to go out with these new things of mine and she's like yeah but that's when you work best that's when you're funniest <laughs> do these things so it, it was like useful to me to have like real life kind of experience I don't think I could I, I couldn't have written a good short story at 23 I certainly couldn't have, have written a novel I know other people can and things but yeah so it, it took me like a little a little while but all of it was was worthwhile you know I feel like the meandering and the the little bits of writing you, you do and things it all it all adds up to to something you know yeah so then I, I worked on a, a collection for the the stinging fly which is a small press in 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 Dublin a uh, small press with the uh, big outreach and uh, mm. <laughs> big results <laughs> um, <laughs> and 
Uh, I was that was published oh, when I was like 29 30 and then I decided to that, well not decided I, I had already sold the novel so I, I had to write it I didn't decide trust me <laughs> but I found that I it was time to write a novel I'd always been quite like I, I don't know if other other writers feel this way I have been quite like put off the idea of writing a novel like, I found the the I the task quite daunting the idea of like giving so much time to something that might not necessarily work like with a story you can write it for you know like stories also take time um you can write it for six months seven like and you then be suddenly like oh it's not coming together in the kind of way I've hoped that's happened to me like I have stories that I've, I've never published and, and things like that but the idea of like giving like you know a novel like three years and then to be kind of like I don't think this is going to work was like really frightening to me and I really felt like I had to you know gain the confidence to, to kind of do that and only did I feel like confident to kind of do that until I was like in my 30s you know and now I did write one and someone will tell me if it works or it doesn't work <laughs> it definitely <laughs> works 100% we can attest to that yeah <laughs> I think, good good <laughs> I think it was um Jesse Burton that that said that she'd written 60,000 words or something and then just deleted it all because she hated it and I was like oh like the thought of deleting 60,000 words like how much time and no it just the thought makes me feel sick (laughs) it is it is quite frightening and then it's one of those things that's like very freeing but I I wrote a lot of I deleted a lot of stuff from this book like I have first drafts that of chapters and things that just didn't go in I have a whole chapter set somewhere completely that like it just didn't know what I just took out and you're kind of like I need to include it I need to find a way to include it and then if you just take it out and you're like you sit with it like for like a few days or whatever you're like I made the the right decision it's once, it's once again like a breakup I'm gonna bring everything back. <laughs> do you um do, when you when you're deleting stuff do you like cut and paste it into like a separate document so that you I have this, okay this okay separate. I don't know if you just completely got rid of it. I was like, no, you might want to. <laughs> no, I have it somewhere. I have it somewhere. <laughs> but I am the kind of person that would keep something for, for years and years. And it'd be mm. like, Hannah, you probably don't need it at this point. But, yeah. but what if I do? What if I do? So what yeah. <laughs> you never yeah, know. No, you're, you're so right. Yeah, and I did keep it. But what I was trying to do was like hugely ambitious. And then I think I was just sort of like rein it in like a little mm. bit. And then everything around it started to make a bit more. A bit more sense. <laughs> I think it's it's so inspiring as well that you you didn't start. I mean, I know you said before like that twenty seven sounds so young, but like I'm twenty eight now, and I I mean, me and Lydia are both actors, and we constantly have that typical creative existential crisis where you're like, am I ever gonna make it? Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, it's such a weird age to be at. So to hear that like your career really took off mm. at the at, at that age, like that's really inspiring to hear I think yeah yeah no no and I agree I think it's terrible like you know and it's only intensified in the last you know eight to ten years like this idea of like success and productivity Mm -hmm. and we all have to achieve these things by like a certain age and yeah kind of depressing like and like I said (laughs) like it's not like not like writing isn't a linear path like you don't sit down someday and start writing well, in some ways you do, like maybe you do say, but it's, there's so many little things that happen and like spontaneous, like spontaneous things that can happen that like just don't follow any 
any normal or like just don't add up to some like huge mm-hmm. thing that can be like put in like an Instagram thing that's like top 10 productivity hacks like it's it's like <laughs> it's against creativity I feel like yeah. It, yeah. it really mm-hmm. irritates me you know um and I, I feel like I feel like I don't know like certainly like I can say this with confidence something like acting is like ages you know like but like I something like some actress or some and they were like you know she's oh it's this picture of Hillary Duff or something and people are like she looks great for 35 like, she's 35 like she's <laughs> 85 like, how is she walking around <laughs> my god it's unbelievable <laughs> it's true it's true it's something we all have to face unfortunately <laughs> It's true. Uh, we're not going to talk about the fact that I'm thirsty this year. Oh, I'm just in denial. It's a good one. Um. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I feel like publish, like publishing and writing and things. People put like a lot of emphasis on age, and I get annoyed by that because when I read a book, I don't finish the book and think, hmm, "What age is this person?" Yeah. Um, I think you know that was a great book, or that was a dud, or whatever. Yeah. Like. <laughs> So I think that's a, that's a that's an annoying little thing that I, I I wish we didn't all have to to deal with, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I mean hearing about your journey to uh, mm. becoming a debut author is so interesting. And what I also found really interesting was the origins of this novel. Most of the novel is centered in and around Andy Warhol's factory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an iconic location for those that know of it. Can you give us a little insight into the origins of the novel mm. and 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 why you chose to set it where you did? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, like I said, like I was not able to write a novel when I was younger. And I kind of just had like I had ideas for novels. One was just, like was like oh, it's a very bad idea. I'm glad I didn't write that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really. Um, but then the other one was I had this. I read Olivia Lang's Lonely City, and she mentions this. I think it's in her book. I, I've been saying it's her book. Um, anyway, she mentions this novel, and I was like, that sounds really interesting because I've always really enjoyed anything with like tape recording and like surveillance and stuff like that so I was like I'm gonna read I'm gonna get the book anyway and then I thought that like about the the typing I've always even in the stories and things I've always like been interested in in, in characters who know a version of of someone that isn't the version they present themselves with and I feel like the factory is like the like a space where like everyone was performing and performance was kind of so central and things that I was like there must have been so many people who knew like different ver- ver- different versions of Warhol or different versions of Edie and thing like, stuff like that and I'm also I've just been like you know I'm interested in like how you make something creative like or how you live like a a creative life you know um this novel really like is about writing a novel like how you write or how you write a novel really like um and then you know also the the I think we always look at like particularly Warhol's work people like like you know like the creation of one man the only name that really really like really enjoys because there were so many people in the factory is is Warhol's like you know mm-hmm. like Edie like Cedric has mentioned a bit but Warhol's is the name and you know a lot of to, to have worked on as something and like like these these women did now they're fictionalized in my book but there were real typists and then mm-hmm. to see it out in the world but not your name on it I always imagined would be like you know kind of devastating 
And actually, I feel like at the time I was like, I'm writing a historical novel. But now I feel like more than ever, like I, I feel like that question is like really quite like relevant. Like I feel like there's yeah. so many TV shows and things now where they're, they're like, this isn't the thing I made. And like, you know, the, the people who are in charge seem to kind of like have more power over like you you read interviews with directors and they're like, they cut my film. They, they did this. They put this on it. They advertise it a different way. And like, I just feel like that is, it's like, it's, it's a real loss. I feel like if, if you work on something for years and then it's taken away from you, um, mm. that was something I was, I was thinking about. And I was sort of fascinating because I felt like I was really challenging myself when I was like, I, I was, but the time period, I think, but like, I, I really am surprised when I put the stories in the novel side by side, like how similar they are like thematically and like in their ideas and things. I thought that they, they, it's not as distant from it as I, as I thought it was, was going to be. So I thought it was, no one will even know it's the same person, but no, you definitely <laughs> might work, but no, it's me. <laughs> I think sometimes your heart betrays you. It comes yeah. out and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's Boy, what I want to talk boys. about. <laughs> yeah, I feel this way. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the timeline of the novel, mm. which I, I love how you moved between, you know, May as a teenager in the 60s and then her in her 40s sort of reflecting on that period of her life. Now, I wanted to know, like, why was it important for you? I mean, we've obviously just spoken about age and mm. um, how we feel about mm-hmm. age and whether we've made it in life and all that kind of stuff. So I was wondering why it was important for you to show May at a later point in her life. Yeah, I really, 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 when I started this, my goal was like to show like a complete life. I was like a complete, uh, how someone has lived their kind of whole life. I know it's just snapshots and stuff because I've always really enjoyed novels that do that. And I, I, I was like, if I'm going to write one, I really want to, I really want to write a novel I like, which is like a good bit of, writing advice I think that you will have to stick with this probably unless you're extremely lucky for like four years you know and you may as well be writing something that you like that you would mm-hmm. like to read so yeah I did want to do that I wanted to have her looking back on the the factory and like thinking about her like relationship with her mother like there's so many relationships in the book that aren't like aren't centered around the factory at all so like I, I also wanted to show that when she's older and I also want to show the the effect of, of of something like that like it can be so formative and life-changing and it was and you know and like informed who she grew up to be but also she was never she wasn't broken by it like she, she grew up to be someone she went on and had another life you know kind of life is long in that way I didn't want it to the whole thing to be like defined by the factory but also reading a hundred phrases but I was thinking a lot about there's a lot of Warhol's ideas mm-hmm. in in the book and like one of his ideas like my ideas is like boredom and like making people wait and patience like if you've watched mm-hmm. any of his films and things and I was like yeah I'm gonna make people wait now I was like people are gonna want the factory <laughs> novel but I'm gonna give them four long chapters <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of like I could t- like sending these to my my agent and things they were probably like where is she going with <laughs> but uh yeah that was I was something I, I really wanted to, to do I think what you were saying before about how you you thought you were writing like a historical novel and then you actually realized that it felt really current and I definitely think that this story felt really current for me in terms of you know these these girls wanting to wanting to kind of feel like somebody if that makes sense they want to have some kind of significance um and I just see that in so many 
20 something women that like you know in the 20 something around that age that I know Mm. I feel like they all experience that same thing of like wanting to be somebody and obviously we have that a lot more now Mm. with social media that's even more enhanced Mm. but I think you know for for May and for Shelley like they do have this sense of of wanting to feel important Mm. yeah um, which I found really interesting yeah and also like they're importance I think something that I like you know it took me a while to to kind of figure out but like May really really in, enjoys working on the, the book you know that she finds something in that is like part of her but apart from that they're just kind of like you are as any teenager is just kind of looking around for like someone to like confirm your specialness or confirm like some idea you have of yourself um I think the 60s is like a very interesting time for that because it really was the like you know with the fashion and the idea of like you was like an individual like it was really starting then and like I'd say like the the, the idea like there was a lot more advertising and a lot more kind of I feel like like possibilities mm-hmm. now I say 60s in America the, the 60s in Ireland was not like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I can only imagine but I imagine it wasn't mm-hmm. um I, I think that that would really affect you as a teenager I think you're so susceptible mm-hmm. to other people's ideas of you and and you know things that you're like you're constantly seeing all the time like like we see now you know like it's it's reached its like highest highest probably level now like the Mm. but like I feel like you know there is that opening kind of chapter where she goes to the department store and she feels like you know she's in this space and she's looking around and she wants all these things but that's all of life now you know like Mm -hmm. that you're just constantly in that space advertising space of wanting seeing what you can't what you can't have or maybe you could have if you did this that or the other you know so yeah I did I did want to write these characters that were like you know eager for acceptance and eager for approval and then you know it's quite like Shelley is like a, a strange character you know she's not someone that's like uh she's not canny like she's not mm-hmm. like you know some people are like even may is, is a lot better at doing this kind of thing and I, I feel like I've known people like Shelly like in my life like you know they want this kind of thing with <laughs> their personality it's just so odd and so I, I was really interested in, in in writing someone like that um and in some ways she's like quite like true to herself but in other ways she's, not a, she's a very interesting character and she's I am um, so interested. Yeah, and I, I don't want to give any spoilers at all, but I just think she's very interesting. <laughs> and I'll say very nothing much. more. <laughs> and I think what I loved about Shelley in particular and May were their friendship, really, mm-hmm. and what they kind of represented with that friendship. Mm-hmm. So I have got a quote actually. Um, I'm gonna be really like awkward and like read it your mm-hmm. own book back to you. I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, our book ends who listen will know that I'm a, I'm a sucker for a quote. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I, I am. But this is a, a conversation between Shelley and May about friendship. You just think you know me so well because you sit next to me every day, I said. I've examined you. And tell me, Shelley, what have you learned? Less than you think, she said. It's not so easy. Come on, you know me, all the dreadful parts of me. You don't even seem to mind them, really. I think that's what friendship is, knowing each other inside out, even the rotten stuff, especially the rotten stuff. That's what I can't believe when I'm listening to the tapes, that all these people found each other, how he brought them all together. It's better than romantic love, you know. It's purer because it asks nothing. It's life's companionship. They're just together, happy. 
I think a lot of people look for love like that their whole lives and never find it. So they stop trying. All my friends will be delighted. <laughs> it resonates. It just, resonates. Like, stop there. Don't read the rest of the book. Yeah, I just thought that particular conversation really highlighted their friendship and what they felt. And I was wondering why this relationship was in this relationship, right? It was so important to include those kind of moments mm. between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it was. And I was thinking, you know, I actually... I've never written about romantic love. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to do it in my next book. But I have written often about friendship, actually. And I, the first story that I, the second story actually I ever had published, um, it's a story in the book, my story collection called "Show Them a Good Time" about a girl that works in a petrol station, but it's like a jobs, it's a fake job basically. They send them in and they they work and it's all pretend. And she meets this young guy called Kevin, and he is like, okay, where I grew up, like every a lot of guys would be like Kevin. They just like quite like sweet and you know the friendship that develops between them is like very sweet and like kind of innocent and kind of like life-saving mm-hmm. in a way that that friendship can can sometimes be if you're in a job that you don't really particularly enjoy and it's that it's that person that you want to see every day that actually makes your your day better your like your life better mm-hmm. that you have a connection with that you can have a, like a, a laugh with you know um and I feel like I've worked jobs like that and they're your person you know like you're like thank god they're here and everyone else is insane but us too (laughs) (laughs) you know and I really really I really enjoy writing about those kind of friendships Mm. like no matter how things kind of develop between Shelly and May I think they had that she really kind of saw her and you know was her friend at a time you know in a place where friendship was such a tenuous kind of thing and it was interesting because I've read so much about the friendships the life in the factory and that time and it's all in A, you know, and I don't doubt that like for, this is only me speculating, but th- like those those friendships were real for like a, a long time. And I'm sure that was when things were, it sounds sentimental, but I'm sure that was when things were like the best, you know, like when mm-hmm. you were like actually making stuff with your, your, with your actual friends and it wasn't about achieving some kind of goal or, you know, you know, being seen with the, the right person, which is what it kind of developed into into later so yeah I'm almost kind of thinking about friendship and and what it means and you know how to be good at it (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'm not though I don't know all my friends will email in and say (laughs) (laughs) it's not (laughs) it's at a pair of bookends at gmail (laughs) (laughs) don't No, but I love that exploring friendships within the workplace because the crab claws are coming out, Lydia. <laughs> what um, we feel when we're passionate. When we're passionate, <laughs> these seem to come out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I worked in hospitality for about a decade and I think without those friendships that I made there, yeah. I probably would have, like, flung myself out of a nearby window. Like, it was just... <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. those friendships are so, like, significant and so, like... I don't know you just feel like somebody gets you and it's 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 strange because it's somebody that you see every day at work yeah. but actually like you have a different sort of relationship with them to you do with your friends outside of work if that makes yeah, sense yeah, yeah. Um, which I find really interesting like that dynamic because you yeah. feel like these people especially when I was working hospitality like you'd go through like hell together on really? shift. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like did we just imagine that like <laughs> it's like the only other person in the world that gets it <laughs> yeah and also it's someone you're thrown together with 
Yeah. Like you're not in any other circumstances, like in the like May would never have met Shelley. Like she probably mm. wouldn't. Like she would have stayed with Maud or any of those other kind of women. And I think it's so it's so unusual now in, because everything's so kind of catered to and like we're all kind of put in like our little groups and mm. that like you get thrown into a, like a world where you where you uh, it's full of people you would you would never meet like you know mm. normally um, and then bonds develop that like really can really really surprise you you know and I think it's great it really yeah. do like work friendships work crushes. They get you through. <laughs> work crushes. Ooh. <laughs> Can you write a book about work crushes next? I'd like that. <laughs> I will. Now, I work on my own all day. Flirting so. <laughs> <laughs> with the keyboard, you know. <laughs> Waiting for the postman. <laughs> um, so another thing that I think is so significant in the book is um, mother-daughter dynamics and I have have spoken about this on the podcast before and the listeners probably bored of me speaking about it (laughs) um about how much I believe a parent's behavior can influence uh the trajectory of their child's life and I think specifically between a mother and daughter there's there's something that's just like seemingly more complex which I definitely observed between between May and her mother and and also Shelley and her mother again no spoilers but what do you think these girls see in their mothers um Mm. that makes them so eager to flee the nest yeah that's a great question I really I've always I think once again going back to the story there are stories in the book about mother-daughter relationships and I think I will always probably it's one of those things that I think I will probably always return to I several of my favorite books are about mother daughter relationships and things give us the recommendations please. oh of course <laughs> uh, so uh, one um the Copenhagen trilogy the but Tove Diffudson that's a the uh, a writer I really love it's her her first book and well actually I think her mother's in the second one as well and it's just kind of the relationship between them but then there's another called uh, Fierce Attachments by Vivian Gornick um and then if you haven't read uh Gwendolyn Riley uh, have you no. heard of what Oh. No, I've not read any of it. No. Well, that's the more cruel side of it. But yeah, she writes mothers and daughters brilliantly. And the kind of push and pull between them. I mean, I think that the real motivating thing from for me is that she doesn't want to be like her mother. And I think that's lots of us when we're growing up with our parents. We look at them and we're like, I don't want to be like that. I want to do something different. I want to go here. I want to go there. You'd never do, do that. And you know, even now, like, I feel like I've had more opportunities than my parents, like to travel and do certain things, you know, certain things that they probably wouldn't have. And I feel like, yeah, I get, it's just really, it can be very difficult, I think, between trying to establish yourself, like apart from your mother as well, you know? Yeah, I, I was, it was very interesting to kind of start writing the, the May and her mother dynamic, mm-hmm. because I, I did write that the first chapter quote like parts of the first chapter quite early and it took me a little while to to kind of figure out what the dynamic was going to be between them and then I really ended up like having a lot of kind of sympathy for her for her mother in the same way that I like like she's caught in this kind of like changing culture mm-hmm. and I feel like more than ever now that I'm like I'm caught in a changing culture and I'm getting older <laughs> I don't understand it so like <laughs> <laughs> I had more sympathy for her mother than I expected to have yeah and you know she's a single parent and and, and trying to, to do the right thing but also like 
trying to be your own person. And I feel that like, you know, that that kind of mother that she is, um, you know, she'd be quite like you, you see it on screen all the time. She comes in drunk. She has like a boyfriend and things like that. Mm-hmm. But trying to do something like I don't know if I succeeded, but a little bit deeper than that. And yeah, as regards Shelly and her mother, once again, that driving force would have been to like get away in some way, like perceiving like her mother had like, you know, failed and, and well, not to give anything away, but lying to her and, and, and whatnot. But um, I wonder, like, yeah, I'm curious if I will always, always write about these things. Um, If I became a mother myself, then like mm. have to, to see it from the kind of other side and things. Um. Oh, yeah, sorry, very I, rambling answer there. No, <laughs> really there. We love a ramble. We love yeah. a ramble. Yeah, I am <laughs> queen of rambling, so don't worry. <laughs> um, no, I love reading about complex mother-daughter relationships. I don't want it would bore me to read about a perfect mother-daughter relationship because I don't feel like that's that's true to life. Um, there is not one. <laughs> I'd, I'd be really I'd be like you're lying to me. Surely yeah. not. Like <laughs> it's like um. I loved, can never say her name properly, uh, Eleanor Ferrante's oh, uh, yeah. The Lost the lost Daughter. I haven't read that actually, or seen oh, it. Yeah. It's so good. And the, the film is great. Like Jessie Buckley's performance is just fantastic. And and her performance alone is is exactly what I'm talking about. It's mm-hmm. um the more complex side of motherhood that we we don't always get to see, um, yeah. which I really appreciate. But yeah, I, I really love the way that you explored that dynamic between May and her mother. Um mm-hmm. Because you could definitely see her trying to May, sorry, trying to distance herself mm-hmm. from her mother, but you could still sense that you know she loved her mother, but it was just kind of a I don't want to end up like that, so I'm gonna. Keep and I think it's also, it's also this thing of like it's really hard at that age to like see your parents as people as like actual people who have like you know had disappointments of their own or failed in like ways of their own and things and I think that like that was something else I wanted to show with the the older like I think by the time they reconnect I think she sees her as like a different as a as as something else and that just happens that just happens when you when you when you get older I think Mm -hmm. it's very interesting um it really changes really changes things you know yeah I I found that a lot of the novel was kind of centered around you've touched on it before but like identity and Mm -hmm. and and reinvention of Mm -hmm. of you know self especially Mm -hmm. again we're talking about May distancing herself from her mom but she's also Mm -hmm. distancing herself from from that whole life almost and I think that you know this this sense of reinvention it plays such a key role in in May's life choices and her decisions I was wondering if maybe you could give us more of an insight into why you wanted that to be a part of May's journey Hmm. well once again like I think like reinventing like reinventing the self like that's such a Warhol idea like the 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 king of reinvention basically you know like he transformed himself like from but he perceived he, he was lacking like as a young boy, teenage boy, even when he and then he, you know, he styled himself. He made himself into the, into that person. Like and I feel that like like I in the book, I was I was quite torn. And I actually think that's like when you get the most interesting stuff out of a writer, when you feel like they're not coming down like one side or the other. Like I feel like I feel quite like energized by the idea of like self-invention. I think you should be allowed to invite yourself. Like, I feel like that's what life's all about. Like if you can't go out and leave your parts of yourself behind and like try on new things, I'm not 
fully attached to this idea of like the authentic self but I also think there's there's something lost there as well like and I feel like certainly like I was talking about this with someone recently but I was thinking like you know with class and stuff like what Re- May really wants to leave behind is like the idea of like her small apartment that she shares with her mother and her mother's like strange friend who's also her friend and like this idea of like poverty and she wants to transcend that and like I feel mm-hmm. that that is just like she wants to change class move class and like when you that's not talked about you know everything's always like rise 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 and never think about like what you're leaving behind but when you move class or you leave your or your hometown or your where you started like you you can't go back either so you lose something as well like um and I think that like Shelley's really feeling that in the book like you know you, you can't ever get back there and if you achieve something like that and it, it turns you into a different person that's where you are then even if you don't feel entirely comfortable there either like so I was thinking about both those sides of like self-invention which is like I find like self-invention such like a like fun idea and like I said like you should be allowed to do it like we'd be miserable like if it was otherwise like what would we all be doing like we're exacts and you know just walking around being the self we were born wherever living in our hometowns and things it's dull but then I, I also think there's this other side and it's like a, it's a really interesting idea um mm-hmm. but yeah it was something I knew I, I wanted to explore like quite early in that quite early in the writing process like I want to think about this I mean class is one of mine and Lydia's favorite topics uh yeah. we we mentioned class quite a lot mm-hmm. on the podcast and I I definitely felt like the class situation of May and her mother made yeah. their relationship more complex because yeah. I mean you know, May's really wanting to try and make a better life for herself mm-hmm. and I think her mother kind of really resents her for that it's mm-hmm. like you know you ashamed of where you came from or like it's that whole bitterness and you know me and Lydia both grew up in working class households mm-hmm. so we know that kind of looking at people that are doing better than you and mm-hmm. hearing your parents say like oh it's all right for some like <laughs> okay. Okay. and ha- <laughs> hearing that like negative you know negative comments about somebody that's kind of above you but yeah I I loved the way class was explored in this book mm-hmm. oh, um yeah. now I really want to ask and I'm aware that we're I'm I can't believe how much we've how long we've been talking for and I'm like we need to get more questions <laughs> in. Yes, and I'm like mother's daughters rambling no, I could speak to you for hours but I'm uh, concerned problem. that we're keeping you for too long <laughs> so obviously it is a, a tale as old as time you know famous uh famous male figures uh, exploiting people you know women specifically um and I feel with Andy Warhol I mean I am really not familiar with his story I have only read uh, Olivia Lang's book that you mentioned before that's all I've kind of got to be familiar with him but I feel like there's quite a, a moral ambiguity about him um which I found really interested found really interesting um, and I was listening to a podcast earlier called Bad Gaze and um, oh, I know yeah. they've got a, a book of the same name yeah. where they sort of reflect on for any listeners um, mm. that aren't familiar with the podcast they kind of reflect on figures in throughout queer history uh, but a more darker side of queer history um, and they kind of rate whether they think a person is a, a bad quote a bad gay um, and in their discussion they this specific epic speak this specific episode was speaking about Andy Warhol um, and they even said themselves that they felt conflicted by overtly calling him bad you know Mm -hmm. they felt it was more complicated than that Um, and I was curious what your own feelings about Andy Warhol Mm. am I saying his name right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and I'm the expert (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I was curious what your own feelings about him are and and how that influenced the way that you wrote the book 
Mm. Oh, great question. And I'm glad that you're saying it's ambiguous because I feel I wanted it to be because I didn't, I think like when I was starting out, I was like, I need to make a decision about how I feel he was. And like that decision needs to be rooted in all these things he did. And, you know, when I was reading his biographies and things, and then I read so many of these biographies. And then you also have to look at the people like writing them, like mm-hmm. think of people that were beside him or working that like, like working with him later on, on magazines and things like that. And I was like, I don't trust these either. <laughs> like, you know, like I feel he's so kind of shrouded in like, and this is what happens with like any icon or whatever, that, that like he's so controlled now by like how he, people saw him and what they got from him and grudges held against him and all these kind of things that it's almost impossible to get to like the heart of kind of who he he really was um so I was like I don't doubt that like the factory was like a manipulative atmosphere like Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm sure you felt the pressure of that if you were a woman if people were like constantly jostling for like attention Mm -hmm. and like who was the most beautiful and who was the most dazzling that week and who wore the best dress like all of this sort of stuff which is like exhausting in itself that was probably all amplified and yes that would probably worked in his favor for his work or his films or whatever but then I can't I also couldn't say that he was like an evil person who didn't have friendships or didn't have like affection for the people in this book like Anadine or Edie or whatever because I, I think when we kind of write about or make myopics about these people now like like Elvis and I was thinking about the, the new Amy Winehouse one I think you really forget that these people were once people like mm-hmm. actual people who I'm sure had friendships and had and maybe they transformed themselves into something else later but a part of me was like really like I think I I didn't want him to be this absolute evil puppet master presiding over everything because I just don't think that's that's the truth um mm. I think everything is is more complicated than that you know but one yeah. I do believe that like in all these situations where a powerful men are in charge and things like that that yeah probably the women suffer the most you know mm. um but yeah yeah what a surprise <laughs> shocking, <laughs> shocking <stuff. Now>. <laughs> <laughs> women coming off worse I wouldn't have thought that oh, uh, not me <laughs> <laughs> we can but laugh I mean I just want to fit in this question before mm. we finish because I found some moments just absolutely fascinating particularly around the uh, concept and the act of sex and voyeurism and this kind of world that May finds herself kind of thrust into sometimes of her own volition and I think that this book really really looks at sex with a kind of like Mm non-judgmental but quite confronting eye which I found very refreshing can you tell us a bit more about like how sex uh, or why sex forms such a key moment in the Mm -hmm. novel Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can talk about, because it's early in the book, I can talk about the second chapter and then we can talk about the rest. But I, so the opening chapter where she meets the guy and she goes back and she has sex with him or whatever and she gets up and she's full of confidence and he's gone and then she has that conversation with his mother. I knew I wanted to write that. I knew that for a while I had been thinking about something like that because I was like, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you after you have a virginity? And it's like, you just sit there. I was dying. Yeah. And because I think there's so there's so much about mothers in the book, you know, like I was like, she has to meet like a different kind of mother. And Mm -hmm. I needed like I needed that person to like lead her kind of to the factory and things. But because the factory was like such like a sexual place and there was so much like sex happening all the time and it was filmed and there was no other way to kind of 
but write about it. But like, I think Shelley particularly like has this kind of like strange relationship with it. And like both of them are like watching all the time and like having difficulty participating, you know, because I can imagine as a teenager how that would have felt like to be in that world, which is like super exciting, but also like super strange when you're like forming your own ideas of what like sex is and things. So I was I was thinking about that a lot. And also because so much of the the book is about like watching, you know, like just like watching and surveilling people and things. I was like, it has to have like a similar like, voyeuristic relationship with, mm-hmm. with sex, you know. Um, but yeah, I love that. Well, that's me, John. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, just what you were speaking about there with the interaction between May and the mother of the man that she slept with. Mm. Uh, that was actually probably one of my favorite moments in the book I was just obsessed with it um but you know for me personally I thought that your your dialogue was was brilliant you know it was so funny and spiky and you know there's so much like dry humor in there I did read online that you studied film and theater and obviously you referenced it before yeah Um, and I was I was curious you know whether you studying those scripts and screenplays whether that actually um, impacts the way that you write dialogue now in your fiction oh I think so like I think so totally like I feel like whenever I talk about like I started writing I learned really to write I think by writing plays um I started writing plays when I was like 1920 and before that I because I was studying theater I read a lot of plays and I always think that's like really good advice for like yeah anyone struggling with like writing dialogue like stop reading novels for like a little while and start reading plays and just Mm -hmm. see how they like talk to each other and not even go like going to see plays would be great but also like just reading them is very useful to like how quickly you can get something kind of across um I really enjoy writing writing dialogue um it takes me a little it takes me a little while of like writing kind of first person or interior stuff and then I feel like I have to then I feel like I I know how they sound and stuff but yeah I definitely definitely it definitely helped my work like a lot to read read a lot of plays I think reading plays is great advice and we might be biased because we're actors but um I think it is. is. I think it really is a it's a good useful thing to do. So good. And I was so impressed by I think it's well, one of my favorites is uh, Sam Steiner's Lemons, Lemons, Lemons. It's about five lemons. And it's about set between a man and a woman. And it's sort of a dystopian of we have a word limit for how many words that we can say a day. And the lower class you are, the less words you get. And uh, the woman in this relationship is middle class from a middle class background. And the man is from like a working class background. So he naturally gets less words and she works as like a lawyer or something. So because she's got more important jobs, she's awarded more words. And I just found that so fascinating. And specifically, you know, yeah, Yeah. it's so, so good. I would really recommend that. (laughs) I I will. But yeah. be screwed in that world yeah me too me too if there was punishment for talking too much (laughs) I think I'd be okay if I unless I had a good story to tell in which case I'm like I'm going going over I'm going over my work here today I'd be shaking with the words wanting to come out (laughs) that is true true. so I mean we're hitting time now so thank you so much for joining us today we do really appreciate it but before we let you go we're not gonna let you actually leave without squeezing every single recommendation we can get out of you yeah so we were just wondering if you could share with us some of your uh favorite debut authors debut novels that you uh would like to share with us really 
is it from this year or from coming out or whenever? Any, anytime. Whenever, anytime We're not I picky. Debut and I was like, oh, well, I know uh, there's a, um, a Belfast writer book is coming out in April, I think. Michael McGee. That's called Close to Home. I really loved that book. Um, if it's been I think past, I've read about it. It sounds yeah. great. Yeah. It's really, really good. Um, very, very impressive. I feel like I, I've, I've definitely read debuts pick anything pick anything yeah. okay. I know Laurie Moore has a, a new book out later this year I've read it it's very good um I'm a big fan of hers and actually on the on the subject of friendship I was kind of thinking of two books in particular when I, I was writing this um and one was who will run the, the who will run the frog hospital by Laurie Moore um by two teenage girls and then the other one was Veronica by Mary Gateskill Yes, and I, that. I love that book so, so great. Yeah, so I thought I was thinking of, of, of them, both of them a lot. So get those recommendations. I just thought of another debut I liked. I really liked Saba Sam's uh, collection, Send Nudes. Send Nudes. Um, yeah, very good. That, that was our January book of the month. Yeah, yeah she's great. We yeah. adore it. Yeah, it's so good. And I know um, she she used an epigraph from. Veronica actually as a... yeah she did yeah yes. and she's also working on a novel which is very exciting oh so... fantastic <laughs> but I'm really sad that we've got to let you go because I've loved speaking to you but we do have to let you go because you have other things to do uh I you've got a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what you have having I need to know <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, because my my boyfriend's gonna cook. So gorgeous, <laughs> love that. There we go. <laughs> so, listeners, Nicole Flattery's debut novel, which is incredible, um, is out on the second of March and is published by Bloomsbury. Um, I will stick a link in the show notes to pre-order that. Please get on it; you won't regret it. And Nicole, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Um, they can find me <laughs> at Battery. I'm not very good on there. <laughs> Just to remind all your listeners. I like the caveat. <laughs> it's like incredible content. They will be disappointed. Um, yeah, they can find me. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I want to wish you all the luck in the world for publication. Very exciting time. And please do come back to us with any future books because we've really enjoyed this. So uh, you're always we'll welcome here. Five years, you'll get another. <laughs> oh. Well, you don't realise that when you appear on a pair of bookends, you do sign an oath by <laughs> that you have Sorry. to then subsequently always come back. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be five or ten years older every time but I'll come back <laughs> <laughs> listeners if you enjoyed this episode um please do rate review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts uh, you can follow us also at a pair of bookends pod on instagram and at a pair of bookends on twitter and tiktok and aside from that thank you so much nicole and goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>